This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Twenty-nine other MLB clubs. Two-two pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back, gone for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pedro, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe, from spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Game two of 162 coming your way right here on A's Cast and later on on the A's Radio Network following opening day, which was was a stinker, I think we could say. But you know what? Like Ray Fossey said yesterday right here on this program, you just want to get through opening day. And then now, really, the season starts. And you're not going to, not everybody's going to get announced. You're not going to have all the stuff before the game. You just get back to playing a little baseball. Joining us today is going to be a guy who was just phenomenal last night, Chad Pender. Chad Pender is going to be here at 4.15. If you watched the ball game last night, what he did offensively with two hits, but it's what he did defensively, where he had two just absolutely phenomenal catches, including the one where he went Superman, where he was <laughs> flying through the air catching the ball. It, was, it just shows that Chad Pender is a special player. And Chad Pender is getting to a point to where he's forcing the hand of Bob Melvin in the front office to really look at him as an everyday player. So Chad Pinder is going to join us coming up here at 4.15. Our buddy Roxy Bernstein, who is an A's broadcaster and also an ESPN broadcaster, he called the game last night for ESPN, this A's game. And, of course, he's going to have Saturday game of the week. He's going to be doing Sunday night baseball for ESPN. So we'll talk to Roxy about his schedule and the top games because when you're doing game of the week, It's the top game. And then our first Bob Melvin show of the year. Bob Melvin will join us coming up here at 5 o'clock. I can tell you, Bob's not thrilled with last night, but he's happy about the turnout and all the fans. So Chad Pinder at 415, Roxy Bernstein at 430, and then Bob Melvin at 5 o'clock. You know, David Force, the general manager of your A's, always comes down during batting practice, and he's always on the phone. I can't imagine how much these GMs are on the phone. Like, you think, like, teenagers are on the phone a lot? I, I bet they log more hours on the phone than you bet. But I, the funny thing here is the music that is played here at the Coliseum, which a lot of players, opposing players will tell you, is the best music in baseball. I wonder how many times, when, and it's loud, too, because remember, these are the speakers that years ago that John Gruden had put in, and they wanted them pointed at the field because they wanted it to be so loud. That was a John Gruden thing, and they've kept these speakers. I'm telling you, they're so loud, they're obnoxious. I wonder how many GMs go, David, it sounds like you're at a club. 
where are you? I mean, because the music that's being played is not, let me tell you, I've traveled to a lot of ballparks. Uh, our music's a little different than everybody else's. You're telling me they're not playing the same kind of music in Kansas City at Kauffman Stadium? or No. <laughs> they're not playing it at, 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 uh, in Detroit or Cleveland? No. Detroit? Yeah, no. Detroit? No. No. Been to Detroit. No one plays music like we do before the games. Um, you know, I said yesterday, and I'll say it again, we just got to have patience with with how things are going to roll, and every ballpark's going to deal with it. I know there were some issues last night. Uh, I feel bad for so many different people. Cody, I know you and your fiance Dina, had some issues, and it's just – until we're able to get back how we normally get back, we just got to have patience. There's going to be issues. And you knew game one with the fact that we're still doing the vaccine shots on the other side of the parking lot, and there's going to be traffic, and there's so many people around. And, you know, this it was a recipe for issues, and hopefully tonight and the rest of the homestand will get better. But we just got to have patience and be thankful that we have baseball back. I was so glad to see everybody last night. The crowd was absolutely fabulous. You guys brought it. Unfortunately, the team didn't didn't back it up, but you guys brought it, and you guys were great, and it was an electric atmosphere for just having 12,000 people here. I know I truly appreciate it, and it was, you know, sitting up here where we're sitting and just to look down and start to see the fans come into the stands. It was like, ugh, it looks so good. It really did look so good to see all of you back in the stands and to see all you guys tweeting selfies of, of you and your friends with masks on and getting the family, getting the band back together. Uh, it was great to see. It really was great to see. And then tonight, you know, now things change. Now it's not the opening day hoopla and Jesus Lazardo is on the mound and I can't wait. I can't wait to see what this kid's season is going to be like as really talented pitchers they either really come in and dominate right away or they come in and they struggle a little bit and then they figure out and then they're dominant for a long time. And I got a feeling that's what we're going to see from Jesus Lazardo this season. I think this is the breakout year for him where he's now been in the big leagues. He's, he now gets the lifestyle. He understands how to prepare. He understands how to use video. Working with Emo more, I just I, I see this as a big growing year. I'm not going to say he's going to win the Cy Young Award, but I think he's going to be very, very competitive and have a lot of good outings. And, you know, the training wheels are off. You know, this is not, you know, they talk 30 starts. This is not like, oh, my God, he can only go so many innings. Those training wheels are gone. It's time for Jesus Lazardo to become a major league pitcher. The, the, and the crazy thing about him, too, that I know, I mean, even last year, but going back when he debuted, he pitches well against the Astros. In relief and as a starter last year, the A's won both of his starts last year, and they won the game in the uh, the ALDS against the Astros that he pitched. He gave up four runs, but he, they still won the game, and I think that there's so much hype surrounding him. I hope that he can block out the noise, because I think he can do a great job. We've even seen from the year-over-year year progression from it, just from interviewing him how much more comfortable he is doing it He's more he's more personable. I mean, this matchup tonight between him and Christian Javier, who I'm a, uh, a you know, you know I, I'm kind of bullish on him. I, I really like what he brings to the Astros. Um, he what, finished third in the AL Rookie of the Year voting. Did last you year. bring your Astros jersey? 
By the way, I got a bone to pick with Ken Korak later. <laughs> Did you find it? I could I couldn't find it because I was going through it, but apparently you told me that uh, Ken Korak said that Zach Granke is not a Hall of Famer. I'll say so, so he's got to do a little more. I mean, can't can't can basically uh, put some holes in your in your cheese. Well, I'll have to go find Ken later, and we'll have we'll have a we'll have a nice conversation. I mean, shots fired. I mean, Ken Korak basically said you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, that's a, so Javier. You know what I love about these notes? So Christian Javier has a great slider, and in my notes, he held opponents to a zero a point zero five average and 24 Ks last year on his sliders. Remember, it was a 60-game schedule. There wasn't, it's not a huge body of work, but he had 24 Ks on his slider. He threw a slider 25.5% of the time in 2020, seventh highest in the NL. And when facing the A's, the A's team just hit 129 off that slider. So you think, wow. And what did you just say? Oh, yeah, the A's went 2-0 and against him, and his ERA against the A's was 7.88. Yeah, I mean, th- those numbers are – they're. I mean, his, other than like his uh, starts like non against the A's were pretty impressive. I think the Astros won seven of his ten starts last year. Um, I don't know how much I can put in stock after, after we told – we said how many times I say Granke was 0-1 on opening day, and he went six scoreless. So, I mean, but those numbers were hot. I mean, the A's have seen Javier, which is good. They got a good track record against them. And I think that the thing with him is if he has that slider going, he is he is good. And I think we talked about the slider, the uh, A's batting average against sliders last year. I think breaking balls overall last year just wasn't great. But then again, how many teams in baseball last year had a good uh, batting average overall? Not even just gets certain pitches, uh, just overall. Like we saw historically low batting averages, especially in the NL Central. I mean, literally every team in that division stunk, and they still somehow got, what, how many teams – Four teams in the playoffs last year? I read that wrong. Actually, it's the A's team overall hit 129 off the slider last year, which was the worst mark in the majors. The A's off sliders last year just hit 206, but yet they beat Javier, the slider guy, twice. They're 2-0. Baseball's a funny game, man. It really is. I mean, you could be the worst uh, fastball hitting group in the, uh, the bunch, but uh, you're going to come out and you, if, you, if you time a curveball or an off-speed changeup or something – it, it, it can go in your favor, and it's just – I know after last night watching Granky pitch and then, you know, I thought the Astros' bullpen would be their issue, but, I mean, their bullpen looked pretty solid last night. I mean, it's game one. It's game one. It's game one. We don't need to overreact. I mean – Oh, I wait, mean, wait, wait, wait. We're, 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 where's your panic button? You got the panic button after – I do. Sorry. See, it's, this is so different now that we're here, but, yeah, I do – you're hitting the you're hitting the panic button, huh? Uh, I'm I'm hitting the panic button. I mean, I'm hitting the panic button about a lot of things I've seen yesterday. Um, I mean, th- I, I was told that the White Sox were going to run away at the uh, the AL Central and they lost their first game. The Yankees can't beat the Blue Jays. Controversial. Tony Larusa didn't get the challenge in time on a stolen yeah, base. Yeah, it's Tony Larusa. It's game one. He's been criticized. Did, uh, panic time. Did, Yankees lose to the Blue Jays. <laughs> did Jerry Reinsdorf make a mistake again? By bringing Tony back? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it, but yeah, there was a lot of good stuff that happened on opening day yesterday. And then, you know, the thing today that we saw, which we'll, we'll get to probably later, um, it was great to see our, our friend Trey Mancini back, too. Yeah, we'll play that for you, of course, coming back from colon cancer. A uh, friend of the program uh, has been on A's Cast Live and, and really rooting for him. I mean, a young man to go through that, it, it, it's pretty shocking, but it was great to see. There was a lot of great things. And then, then we got um, – we got some interesting things going on tonight. 
You know, coming up here in about an hour, Trevor Bauer is going to make his debut in Colorado with the Dodgers. So the guy who increases spin rate so much last year, winning the Cy Young, that Major League Baseball was even a little suspicious of how much the spin rate went up for Trevor Bauer. Now, Trevor Bauer, remember, accusing the Astros of using substances, and now they're like, well, is Bauer using it? So Trevor Bauer will make his debut. On the mound tonight, Blake Snell. Blake Snell will be on the mound for the first time since Kevin Cash took him out after 73 pitches, a 1-0 lead, one out in the sixth inning of Game 6 of the World Series to bring in his ace reliever. We don't call him a closer because he didn't close. He does. He sometimes closed, doesn't. But Nick Anderson blew the lead. Tampa lost the game and lost the World Series. Still to this day, a very controversial call, and Blake Snell's not happy about it. I think Blake Snell's happy now to be out of Tampa. He'll make his debut for the Padres tonight. Uh, that that Padres um, that Padres game yesterday, I was I was getting a little worried they might not win that game against uh, Tory Lavelle and the D-backs. I thought the D-backs might take it. Bumgarner with a double. Everyone's out there. Get we need pitchers hitting. Bumgarner and Kershaw each have a hit today, and uh, well, I mean, you Darvish didn't look good in his debut for the Padres, but he's the guy that relies on a lot of off-speed stuff. And um, you know that new baseball, the study that was out about it is. They think guys are going to lose a lot of uh, spin and stuff on the new on the new baseball, and Drew Darvish is a guy that relies a lot on spin rate, and that's what helped him in Chicago. And he got roughed up a little bit yesterday, so maybe the, maybe the baseball is different. I mean, I mean, we didn't see any. Uh, we only saw two home runs hit yesterday by by the Astros, but um, there wasn't a lot of. I don't remember seeing a lot of home runs hit around baseball yesterday. So, well, how about this? The sack bunt is back because your pitchers. So, starting with a runner on second base is helpful. If you're wondering, there were five sacrifice bunts on opening day. All five were by? Pitchers. None came later than the sixth inning. Maybe, maybe you know what? Maybe Because you know a lot of those pitchers, after the starter, a lot of those pitchers aren't allowed to hit. Yeah. Universal DHB damned. We're keeping pitchers in there. Five sacrifice bunts yesterday. By the way. There were eight games that were decided by a single run on opening day yesterday, two more than any other opening day in Major League Baseball history. Back in 1972, they had six. So even though the games were extremely long, and if you listen to the postgame show after on 960 or Sports 1140 KHDK or right here on A's Cast, uh, and we'll get into that a little bit later, we played – I would have to say if they actually went and looked it up, it'd have to be the longest games in the history of opening day. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with you. Um, the, what, there were three, four-hour-long games? We had three. Well, we'll get to that. But, yeah. yeah, we had three games that were four hours long on opening day. Probably my favorite moment, and we played it inside the game on my, my hit at the end of the third inning, was Miguel Cabrera, Miggy, trying to be the first guy ever to get his 500th home run and 3,000th hit in the same season. They're playing in Detroit against Cleveland, and it's snowing. This is not like just like some flakes coming down. It's snow. You grew up in snow. It's yeah. snowing. It was uh, it was pretty cool to see, and then he hits the home run, and we played the audio yesterday. He hits the home run, but he thinks it's a double, so he slides into second base. <laughs> and uh, they're like, what are you doing? It's a home run. 
Yeah, and then, uh, well, and if in, in Cleveland, uh, fans were hitting the panic button a little early in Cleveland. <laughs> save that, save that. Coming up next, you're going to hear from maybe, just maybe, your new right fielder, Chad Pender, right here on A's Cast Live. A's Cast, A's Cast Live continues from Ricky Henderson Field. Here's Chris Townsend. It is opening night at the Coliseum with Ken Korak. And Ray Fossey and Chris Townsend, Vince Catronio with you. Slow curve, lifted a deep right, chasing Pinder back toward the track at the wall. Reaches up, and he's got it! Pinder's got it! What a catch by Chad Pinder! Deep in the alley, on the track in right center field. He hauls it in and robs Kyle Tucker of extra bases. It was warm, and the ball was carrying. Altuve, it's a drive to right angle toward the line, a long run. Pinder goes into a dive and makes another great catch and saves a run. A full-out dive on a slicing line drive down the right field line by Altuve, and Pinder gets parallel to the ground and snares it, and the ball stays in the glove as the glove hits the ground. you got to be such a good athlete to do that. I mean, you're full stride, and you get parallel to the ground like that, and you get off the ground, and that's a risky play. You have to make that play. Because if you don't make that play, and it hits off your glove, and it's going in the corner, I mean, who knows what happens? I mean, the game was still tight at that point. Chad Pender is looking like a gold glove right fielder, like a super athletic gold glove right fielder. And it's so impressive as a guy who is pretty much like a career shortstop. And in this interview, we'll ask him about playing a little uh, outfield back in the day in college. But, you know, that's why people draft shortstops. You know, it's, it's so funny to me, like, when you look at someone's draft and their farm system, they're like, God, they draft another shortstop. <laughs> they got another shortstop in the first. People draft shortstops because you can move them. They're great athletes. They're usually the best athletes on the diamond. They got great instincts. They got great feet. They got great feel for the game. So you can move them around. And you know what? Chad Pender's becoming one of those guys. Here's my conversation earlier today here at the ballpark with Chad Pender. Well, if you want to have an opening start uh, to a season, last night Chad Pender did exactly that. A couple hits and some great catches. Uh, happy opening day. That uh, Even though it, you didn't like the outcome, uh, your performance last night was pretty darn good. I appreciate it. You know, when I think about you out in right field, you know, we've talked before about you being able to play so many positions. You really grew up a shortstop, a middle infielder. When was it for you out in right field where you went, you know what, I kind of like it out here? Uh, I'd say like the first couple of times of being out there, I'm going to say it was 2017. Uh, was when I really started getting a bunch of work out there. Um, and Marcus came back and started playing shortstop again. I kind of worked my way over to right field and, uh, you know, I just really, I do enjoy being out there. You did play a little bit in college, right, in the outfield? Yeah, I played a few games in left and a few games in right um, my freshman year. Wow, because, I mean, you've really taken to it, and StatCast just loves your jumps. Uh, the laying out, tell us what it's like laying out like that, going all Superman and making a catch like that on opening day in front of a pretty good crowd. <clears throat> yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it was a tight ball game at the time, and 
be able to keep us in the game. That's all you want to do. And you just, you got you to be 100% sold out onto it. And I was able to get a good read and that's good positioning um, on that pre-pitch and was able to come up with that one. And speaking of the crowd, how great was it just to have the 12,000 people at the Coliseum cheering, not cardboard cutouts, but here and not piped in sound, hearing actual real fans? Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it's just a different, different energy. You can actually feel the energy in the stadium, and um, it, it was nice to have everybody back. You know, when you talk about defensive positioning, how does that work with the athletics? Uh, I know you guys always looking in your cap or you may be looking in the dugout. How does outfield positioning work for your club? Yeah, it just it varies from obviously player to player, team to team. Um, but we basically have, um, you know, data that puts us in different positions for each batter and uh, plant pop abilities and, um, you know, most of the time, it really does an awesome job of putting us in good positions. Has there ever been a time where, you, where you've been set up, because it's telling you to set up, and, and, and somebody hits it completely the other way, and you're like, really? I was, <laughs> the, the data was completely well, that's, wrong. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the part of the game. You know, you, you're playing the probability. Sometimes that's going to happen. But majority of the time, it's going to put you in a really good position. Um, and obviously, still, you got to be able to read the swings and read the count and see what you know the pitchers doing that day and how the how the um, you know the hitters are timed up with them. But it's been you know for the most part, it's been it does a really good job. You know, I, I think one of the reasons why you guys have been so good it's it's because of your defense. And you know, a great play by Chapman on Straw. Your two great plays. You guys are very athletic. I think you're underrated that way. Just talk about how good this team's defense is and how it's really been the hallmark of the team. I mean, our, our defense is it's awesome. I mean, you look up and down our whole lineup. You've got Ramon plays an outstanding center field. Canis, I'm an incredible left fielder. Obviously, we have our two corner guys. Um, you know, what they've done speaks for itself. We had the guy like Elvis um, playing shortstop. It's sound as they come at shortstop. You, know, you got Jed with 13 years of experience playing in the middle infield, and the guys are sound as they come as well. And then you got a guy like Mitch, who gets another gold glover. Um, you know, we got Murph behind the play with one of the best arms in the big leagues. Um, you know, we, we have some, some very good defenders on our team. You know, I think about Ramon Laureano, just like yourself, he's a human highlight reel. He covers so much ground. What's it like playing with a center fielder who can cover that much ground? He can he can come in, he can go deep, and he can even leap and take away home runs. Yeah, I mean, what Ramon's done is, I mean, what he does out there is extraordinary. I mean, and just the little things that you guys might not see, but, you know, keeping spacing in the outfield, you know, making sure that, you know, me and Mark are, where, where he needs us to be. I mean, obviously he's in control of the outfield being the center fielder and what he does is awesome out there. And a few times yesterday where he's pushing me over towards the line on certain batters and a couple of times it actually it, it worked out where I was in foul, te- foul territory, um, making standing up underneath top flies where you're normally, you know, on the run trying to get to it. Um, so, you know, what Ramon does out there is awesome. Just how fitting is it that you start the season with your arch rival, the Houston Astros. You know, it's another storyline, I guess. You know, I guess people make it a little bit more than it is. It's another, it's another series. It's another game. Um, you know, it's, it's a new season for us, so we're going to try not to make too much of it. So. 
you know, you said something in your in your post game presser that I ended up playing in the post game last night uh, because I totally agree with you one hundred percent. You know, everybody just goes, oh, it's opening day. It's one game. You know, you just want to get through all the, you know, everybody's getting announced on the line and get through all of that. And then you, you take a breather and now you got 161. But as you said last night, and, and, and when people ask the question, is this an important game? People always want to blow it off. But you said it perfectly last night because we've lived it with the Rangers in the A's where it comes down to the very last game. Every game matters in your season because you don't know which game early could cost you later when you're trying to get in the playoffs. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, obviously the games at the end of the year end up being more magnified, but you can always look back at certain ones that you dropped that you should have won at any point in the season. So each game is important. Every game in April is as important as the ones in, in September. So we got to keep that mindset and we get to go play some baseball tonight and, you know, hope to get back, get back uh, with a little bit more momentum. And you got going Jesus Lazardo. Just talk about playing behind him and his electric stuff. Yeah, I think you said it. He hit it on the head there. The guy, he, he's just got electric stuff. It's fun to play behind. It's fun to watch, man. Um, the kid has got a serious, serious bright future. Um, you know, every time he throws the rubber, I think everybody gets a little excited just to be able to watch what he does. You know, a lot of you guys came up together in the minor leagues. Just talk about your core, the core guys, and, and how close you guys are as just not like as teammates, but like brothers. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these guys, if, if they didn't come up with us in the minors, most of the guys we spent some extensive time here in the big leagues with, and we really do have a really close group. Um, it's, it's a joy to come to the field every day, and you know, I think everybody – I can echo that for everybody. You know, everybody enjoys coming here, and we all pull for each other, and it's just a fun clubhouse to be in. Let's end on this. When someone plays a lot of positions, I don't think people realize how many gloves you have because it's different gloves for every position, and you even can catch. What we've been told, like, you're the emergency catcher. So when you come to a game, when you, when you, let's say a road game, let's say how many gloves do you bring to the ballpark? I'm usually just bringing three. You got a outfielder's glove, my infielder's glove, and then I just have, like, the catchers. I bring the catchers and I bring the first basemen, and I'll never have to use them knock on wood. Uh, <laughs> we're pretty covered in those positions. Uh, but so I, I now tell people I only have two. I have my infielder's glove and my outfielder's glove. When, when is the last time you've actually caught in an actual game? Oh man, high school would be probably ninth grade, eighth or ninth grade. <laughs> I can't even yeah, I'm imagine. Not, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> I can't imagine Bob goes, "Hey, sorry, buddy, you're in." <laughs> I'd be ready for it, but I, I, that's something I'm not, you know, relishing if that ever happens. Hey, well, you know what? Last night it was a real treat to watch you play, and uh, it's been fun watching you grow as a ball player, and we're so looking forward to this team in 2021. So continued success, be safe, and we'll talk to you later on during the season. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Good kid, man. And he's forcing his way into the lineup, and that just shows how much depth this roster has. Coming up next, how bad was the home plate umpire last night? Brian Gorman was horrific, but our next guest, Roxy Bernstein, is going to be able to prove it to you right here on A's Cast Live. 
Hi, this is Eduardo Perez from ESPN and MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. And when I'm in the Bay Area, I make sure I listen to AceCast Live. We got Roxy? I, I got to call Roxy oh, okay. in a second. On his landline, mind you. Yes, Roxy Bernstein has a landline, one of the very few. It's like him, Ray Fossey. Uh, our good friend Mark Gubaza, but it's a uh, it's it's not a lot. As we're watching the A's take BP, and actually they're looks like they're about finishing up as the Astros are starting to come out and they're starting to warm up to get ready for Game Two of a four game set between the Athletics and the Houston Astros. The A's begin the season ten games in ten days against the Astros and the Dodgers. So they had the K zone going last night on ESPN. It tells you whether there's really a ball or a strike. Hello, Roxy. Hi, Chris Townsend. How are you? I was hoping like your son would answer. That'd be funny. Hello? Hello, who's this? <laughs> did, you, did you order a pizza? <laughs> Actually, I am home alone this weekend, Uncle Townie, as my wife and kids have gone up to my in-laws' house in Roseville. Uh, they're actually seeing uh, my mother-in-law for the first time since everything kind of went into lockdown mode. So uh, a big step for the uh, the Bernstein family this weekend. No doubt. And uh, congratulations, Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can do whatever I want. I can eat what I want. I had nobody barking and yelling at me. It's great. When's dinner going to be ready? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I don't make dinner. You don't want to, Nobody wants to eat my cooking, anyways. So last night on ESPN, you guys had what? Did you get you call it what the K Zone? Yeah, we have, we have the K Zone. So as I broadcast the game for ESPN Radio from my house last night, and on the feed that we have that we broadcasted it from, I was here. Then Chris Singleton, who worked with me, was in Atlanta, former A's outfielder in the pride of Pinole Valley High School. Um, so Singy and I watch, yeah, basically watching the game on a Zoom. We log into a Zoom, and that's how we call a game. Okay, so uh, grade me Brian Gorman's performance last night on KZO. F minus. Wow, it was bad. He was dreadful. It was pathetic. His strike zone last night, and look, and Singy plays it down the middle because. Yeah, he played for the A's, but he's a major league broadcaster. He doesn't have any real ties to the A's now other than, you know, he played for him at one time. And he was extremely critical of Gorman. And we both were in conversation in the feeling that it was a little one-sided last night. It wasn't a similar zone for both Chris Bassett and Zach Greinke that Greinke was getting extra inches up, down, inside, outside, where it appeared the strike zone for Chris Bassett was basically the size of, size of a mailbox, maybe even a tin can. And there were a number of pitches. For example, look, he got Martin Maldonado out in the, what was it, the fifth inning? Uh, no, I want to say maybe it was the third inning. I can't remember which at bat it was. But Here, I'll, tell, I'll tell anyways. you, it was, uh, it was in the third inning. Yeah, well, that pitch was perfect. Right down the middle. And it was inside the K-zone. It wasn't even touching the border of the K-zone. And it was above the knees. It was about thigh high over the heart of the plate. And he didn't get the call. Now, look, umpire's going to have misses. It's going to happen, right? 
But the misses last night were brutal, and they were is more than just one or two during the course of a game. And I get it. There's the human error, and no umpire is going to be perfect. But there was just too many situations last night where Brian Gorman just either missed pitches or just had a horrific zone. You know, Roxy, we watch a lot of baseball, and now that I've learned over over time – I follow the game on MLB.com, and it shows every pitch and where it is, if it was called a ball or a strike. I mean, like like the calls on Matt Olson last night. Uh, uh, Bob Melvin is still not happy about it, as I talked to him earlier this morning. And it, it just it, – it's – it screams electric strike zone. And I'm sorry to the traditionalists, but if you're going to have guys missing that many calls in games where you're affecting games, I, I can't deal with it anymore. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm like, I'm like you. I, I not necessarily uh, want the electric zone, but I, I can see where right now there's an argument for it. And, and after watching the game last night, I don't know how anybody could tell you otherwise. And I mean that that at bat for Olsen, look, it was a five to one game in the eighth inning, and more than likely the A's weren't coming back. But you know what? What happens if Olsen reaches that Chapman comes up with the tying run? And but it was if it wasn't just that, it was earlier in the game, plus when he's calling when you don't have a, a clue where this strike zone is it's going to alter your approach to the plate. And you're going to start swinging at pitches that could be out of the zone, but you're not sure you're going to get rung up on it or not. So it completely alters the game. Now, would the A's have won last night? I think you don't necessarily have that argument considering, you know, the final score was 8-1. to one, But it certainly changed the game, and it took the opportunity for the A's to come back away. Well, I got to tell you, you know, a takeaway from last night's game, and you got to give them credit is this was the first time they really were going to feel the effect of fans and cheaters and just booing and signs and all of that. And they came out here and opened up a can. I mean, they showed confidence. They hit the ball at the ballpark. They had situational hitting. So the whole question of how is fans going to affect the Astros, they made it, They do you think they answered that question last night? I, I think they did, and they came out with a mindset. But, Chris, they also knew that coming into the year that they were going to have to deal with this, right? And this type of reaction is going to happen in most ballparks, that they're going to have to deal with this on a nightly basis when they're on the road. Now, it might be a little more boisterous, and, and they might hear more stuff when they're in Oakland or New York, uh, or if they have to go to the Dodgers. But when you think about it, they, I think, entered with the mindset it's us against the world, and they tried to block out the noise, and I think they did a pretty good job of it last night. The thing that they're not getting the wrath of is the opposing team's media hanging out in their clubhouse wanting to ask questions over and over and over again, town after town, because that's what Richard Justice told us, uh, longtime Houston Chronicle, now MLB writer, and you see him on MLB Network. He's, he's one of the best. So he was at their camp last year in Florida. He said they were worn out at the by when we stopped spring training. So he thinks they would have been toast if they went into the year. That So fans are back, but it's limited. So they're going to get booed. They can probably handle that. I think the thing that we don't talk about enough is they don't have to deal with it with the media on an everyday basis. No, and that's changed because the media is 
for the most part, Chris, the media has moved on from the story, right? It, they were removed from it. And the media got to pepper them with questions in spring training last year, and they had to answer the music last year in spring training, and everything came to a halt. They still had to somewhat deal with it as the season progressed, and maybe that's why they finished below 500 last year. Now, they had the injuries, of course, and some other issues that were going on. But then you look at this year, you fast forward, and it, it's pretty much a non-story for the media now, right? The, the story, at least, is going to be the fans, their reaction, but not necessarily to the scandal and what happened. And I think that helps, and there's a, a, some relief for the Astros. They don't have to deal with this. And also keep in mind, a lot of these guys aren't there anymore, right? You look at the lineup. For the, the Astros were out there, okay, it's Altuve and Bregman and Correa and Gurriel. That's it, right? The other guys, Brantley wasn't there. Tucker wasn't really a part of things yet. Jordan Alvarez wasn't a part of it. Straw, Maldonado, that's the lineup. And those guys didn't really take part in what went on. And then you look at the pitching staff and how that's changed. Granke wasn't there. So this Astro team only has a few players left from the scandal where, look, Dusty Baker's now running this club. There's a new GM. It's just a different feel in terms of the Astros team, and maybe that's also why they're a little bit removed and detached from it. And they just can't. I mean, whether it was the playoffs or what we saw last night, they just can't get Michael Brantley out. Oh, boy, he's just a professional hitter, isn't he? Pretty stroke, and he was squaring the ball up. And even the out that he hit was a rocket last night. And then you saw Bregman put together a couple of good at-bats. Um, but, look, we, that's, a, that's a lineup that even the loss of Springer, it's still a deep lineup. When you look at one through seven, and, okay, Gurriel might not be what he was a couple of years ago, but he still can be an effective hitter and out of the seven hole. The, the back end of the lineup is a little bit weak with Strahd, Molinato, but when you're going Altuve, Brantley, Bregman, Tucker, Correa, Alvarez, then Gurriel at seven, <laughs> that's a long lineup. They, they got some pop. Those, those guys could swing it. From a national perspective, taking the All-Star game out of Atlanta, and now we have no idea. I was joking earlier. Is the All-Star game calling? Can you confirm the All-Star game is coming to the Coliseum? I can't confirm it, but I can't deny it either. <laughs> hey, there's 29 other places, and we're one of them, right? Yep. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> the Fall Classic here in Oakland. When was let's it? go. Let, let's bring the All- – I was at the All-Star game at the Coliseum in 87. I remember that game. It was scoreless till what, the 13th inning, right? Hell, I don't remember. We were- That's the last time the All-Star game was at the Coliseum. Now – it was a candlestick in, what, 84? And then I want to say the Giants also got it at Oracle Park in 2007. Does that sound right? And I think Dan Heron started the game as, a, as an eighth pitcher for the American League. I'm trying to think. That was the last time it was in the Bay Area. So, look, hasn't been in Oakland since 87. Hasn't been in the Bay Area, what, 14 years? Why not give it to the green and gold? Let's go. It ha- and I understand the whole situation, what's going on there in Georgia, but the Atlanta Braves, you think all you put into and what everybody went through where you had a shortened season and everything, and now you're, you know, you've got the all-star game on your uniform, you've got all, and then all of a sudden it's gone. Yeah, and they have a new ballpark, 
which is, you know, in the suburbs, it's not downtown anymore. It's out in the Buckhead area, which is a beautiful yard. Uh, it's interesting that a lot of teams want to go downtown in the metropolitan areas. And look, we know what the, what the A's are trying to do and get it done at, at Jack London Square and Howard Terminal. But the Braves made the decision because the majority of their fan base was from outside. And look, the Braves are such a regional team where I don't think it matters as much, right? Because, you know, when we were growing up, Chris, the Superstation, you got to watch Braves games every night. And they kind of became America's team, especially when they started getting good with Dave Justice and, and certainly the pitching with Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin, Steve Avery. And so in a lot of ways, there's a lot, there's a lot more Braves fans because of the TBS and Superstation. And so they can get away with it more so than other franchises, I think, and have the ballpark in the burbs as opposed to, you know, I, I, I agree with what the A's are trying to do. They need a downtown ballpark, and we see the success that teams have where the ballparks are downtown. And, but Atlanta's just, I think, a different story. You know, two pitching uh, debuts tonight that interests me, Rocky. Uh, Roxy, I can call you Rocky, but Roxy. Hey, yo. Hey, yo, Adrian. <laughs> uh, I did it. I, I can't wait to see the debut of Trevor Bauer, and I'm going to put it on my computer coming up here in about 15 minutes. Trevor Bauer up against the Rockies in Colorado. Trevor Bauer's just a different dude, isn't he? He's just. He's just a different guy, not a bad guy at all, but he's just different. And he's got his own methods. And now he goes back to Southern California where he was a star at UCLA. He's his own dude and he's got his feelings and uh, on issues and he's going to do what he wants to do. And he's not really going to consult with other people. Doesn't really care what other people think. And you know, he's a free spirit, a wild card. And, and he's certainly unique and pitching in Denver. is not necessarily conducive to, outstanding pitching but you know yesterday you had a slugfest there on opening day is the Dodgers and Kershaw take the L and how bizarre was that home run that wasn't a home run for Cody Bellinger yesterday yeah it's like Turner what what are you smoking what are you doing bro I don't know and then even you see Bellinger like pointing you know it's gone I hit it out it's a home run what are you doing and he cost him a home run Turner's got to at least do something for Cody Bellinger right yeah, what if he ends up with 499 home runs? <laughs> with an asterisk. <laughs> and then the other how about, one. How about my guy Miguel Cabrera's home run yesterday? Oh, Did that, you see that one? That was my favorite part. That Well, first of all, how can you hit a baseball when it's snowing like that? Like, how can you see it? Believe me, I've seen Miguel Cabrera do a lot of things that I didn't think was possible. When I there were there were times in early in his career, Chris, I didn't think he could see straight, and he was still hitting the ball. Yeah, well, yeah, you you know those stories. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, oh yeah, and but the, and the fact that then he, went, then he went sliding into second base because he didn't think he hit it out of the ballpark. I know that <laughs> that, that was my favorite part of opening day yesterday. And then the other <laughs> one I wanted, you know, the last time we saw Blake Snell on the mound, it's the con- controversial call by Cashman to take him out with a one nothing lead. Uh, he's going to make his debut for the Padres tonight. Boy, the, the abundance of pitching that both the Dodgers and the Padres already had, and then they make these moves, Bauer to the Dodgers, and Snell goes to San Diego. The arms race in the National League West between those two franchises, and everybody else is running a distant race for third because those guys are head and shoulders above everybody. And, you know, you send Snell over there, and 
you know, dealing with the injury to Clevenger, for example, for them, uh, it is, uh, that's going to be a fun race to watch between those two. And, and now that Snell is pitching in that ballpark in San Diego, which we know is such a pitcher friendly yard. I, I think that the potential for just a magnificent season is right there for Snell with the Padres. And, you know, speaking of the Rays, it is just amazing. They they win on opening day one nothing, and they had the best record last year in one run games at fourteen and five. There's just what is that mentality? You you know you're going to win the one run game. The other team knows you're going to win the one run game. What a great advantage that is to have, especially when the other team knows how good your bullpen is. That that's the thing is then all of a sudden you're going up there knowing it's a shortened game. Right. Remember that. Remember that when the Royals had those great teams, yeah. and they basically turned every game into a five-inning game with the guys they had coming out of the bullpen. And I think that puts the pressure on teams to get on the board early and not fall behind, because you're you're counting. It's crazy when you start counting outs from the first pitch. In terms of we have to score runs before we get to 15 outs, because if we get to 15 outs. This game's done. It's over. And that is an unsettling feeling, I think, for a lot of managers when they look across and they see how dominant a bullpen can be. And look, we saw it a few years ago with the A's bullpen and how dominant it could be. And even last year that they knew they get to the ninth inning, it was over, that Liam Hendricks wasn't going to be touched. And then you had Diekman slamming the door in the eighth inning. All of a sudden it becomes a seven-inning game. And that seems to be... The trend right now and the recipe for success is finding those guys and shortening the game, and all of a sudden it puts the pressure on fifth and sixth inning. You have to score. You know the game's over. Hey, let's end on this. Cody's already starting it because of game one. He did it all last year. What the A's record is when they don't hit a home run. Uh, Obviously, it starts this year at uh, 0-1, but last year, I mean, it was was definitely glaring. I mean – what, Cody, what was it last year? So, hello, Roxy. Uh, the record was last year when they hit a home run, they were 32-13. and 13. They were 4-11 and 11 when they did not. It's a time to panic after game one. Oh, yeah, Cody, it's time to panic. I'm gripping now. This season's lost. Are you kidding? I mean, I don't know, 161 games to go. I don't know if they can get it going. Well, that'll do it for Ace Cast Live. We'll see you next season. <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, I had this discussion with my son last night after the ball game. Oh, Daddy, they got crushed by the Astros. Oh, maybe the A's are not so good this year. I go, Jake, it's one game. One game out of 162. Yeah. But it's so funny how people jump to conclusions after just one game, right? Oh, the Yankees oh. are done. Yankees, you might as well. Oh, just the Yankees are winning, and the Dodgers lost yesterday, so all the money they're spending is is going down the tubes. Now it's just great to have you back. It's great to have baseball back. It was so much fun. Uh, I wish you would have been out here calling the games because I think you would have really loved seeing all the fans back and the signs and the drums. I know you guys were showing it on TV, but uh, it would have been great to have you out here. It would have been, and I can't wait to get back out there for a game at some point, hopefully soon. Uh, it's just, you know, that you're, you're 100% right about the fans being back. It changes everything. And granted, there were only 10,000-plus there last night, 
because of the limitations, but those 10,000 plus made noise for about 50,000 last night. It was definitely noticeable, and I can't wait to be we're able to get more people in the ballpark. Hopefully, we start filling it up at some point in the near future, And but I, I think it was a huge step for everybody last night to see fans back in the ballpark. Who you got this weekend? Uh, I've got college baseball tomorrow for ESPNU. The mighty Toreros, the Chris Bryant slash A.J. Griffin, San Diego Toreros against the fighting Matt Chapmans tomorrow. Cal State Fullerton. That's a good against matchup. San Diego. That's a really good matchup. Yeah. I, I know Mark Kotze will be tuned in, that's for sure. He's he's proud of the alma mater. He'll be watching tomorrow night after the ball game. Yeah, good luck with that. All right, Roxy, uh <laughs> I'll I, you know what? I'll be watching. I, Thank I you. will tune in. Thank you. All right, Thank buddy, you. we'll talk to you next week. Be safe. See you guys. The great Roxy Bernstein right here on A's Cast Live. Cal State Fullerton against USD. That's a heavyweight matchup, Cody. You're talking all the big leaguers that have come out of Cal State Fullerton. There's countless. And a couple of them are on the field in uniform today in Matt Chapman and Mark Kotze. Mark Kotze, arguably the greatest college baseball player of all time. Uh, I only know the greatest college baseball player I ever know or ever hear about is you because you're the only person I ever know that talks about college baseball anymore. So Me and Roxy. Well, yeah, and I'm glad Roxy – you know, I think Roxy – Forgot to talk about uh, there when he's talking about overreactions with team losing. You guys are both forgetting that the Pittsburgh Pirates are the best team in the National League Central. Well, I mean, I, I, Pittsburgh's what? already are already printing their uh, playoff tickets. What do you mean playoff tickets? They're playing the parade, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we get to Bob Melvin, I wanted to address this. I know I addressed this last night. And there is the group of people who say, I don't want a clock. I don't care how long it is. It's, you know, if you don't like it, watch another sport. I Trust me, I understand. But it gets to a point to where it's absurd. It gets to a point to where you start looking at this, and I did this last night as the game got out of hand. And I just started looking around because I'm like, all right, the Giants are still playing. We're still playing. So I went to every single box score to check the time of game last night. And I'll just do them in order that MLB Network had it on their scoreboard. New York and Toronto, three hours and 44 minutes. Detroit, Cleveland, three hours and three minutes. That's pretty much the average. Minnesota, Milwaukee, four hours and 14 minutes. Pittsburgh, Chicago, four hours. Atlanta, Philly, three hours and 33. LA and Colorado, three hours and 46. San Diego, Arizona, 3 hours and 26. St. Louis, Cincinnati, 3 hours and 31 minutes. Kansas City and Texas, 4 hours and 26 minutes. Oakland, Houston, 3 hours and 28. San Francisco and Seattle, 3 hours and 45. Out of the 13 games, only two were under three hours. Tampa Bay and Miami, 244, and that's because that was a one nothing game. Yeah. And Chicago, L.A., Angels, two hours and 51 minutes. Major League Baseball, Cody, has said it's a problem, and then on opening day, it rears its head. Well, hey, in their defense, and that Texas-Kansas City game, 14-10 was the final for the Royals. 
The first inning was 5 nothing Texas. The Royals scored five runs the next inning. Then it was 8-5, and then the Royals came back and went up 9-8. It was a ridiculous game of offense, but you're right. It's just some of these scores, and I like some of these games, I'm looking at the scores. The Atlanta, the Atlanta Philly game, three hours, 33 minutes. The final score, 3-2. Really? Took you three and a half hours to play a game that had five total runs scored? I don't get it. I just, I, I, I they're, they've deadened the ball. They're allegedly. T- allegedly. They're, 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 they're trying to figure out how to speed the game up. But people, if you think the average person is watching or listening to a four-hour game for the majority of the game, I'm going to tell you, the research says they're not. So that can't be good for the sport. If people literally cannot stomach sitting there and watching or listening, I mean, I tell you, that there are a lot of the fans. I mean, Cody, you went to the game. You were home before the game ended. Yeah, and the game was still going on when I got home, and you text me about this, like, hey, double-check to see if these times are right. I just went back and looked at one game right now. It was a Kansas City-Texas game. 14, 14, 14 different pitches were used in that game by both teams. Seven each on opening day. That's a lot of pitchers. 14 pitchers, huh? Okay, so let's figure this out. And that's and they scored 24 total runs in the game. So that's going to be, what, that'd be 12 relievers? Yeah. Because it was Keller and um, uh, Kyle Gibson, I think, started the opener for Texas. So if you say, how long is the pitching change? About three minutes? Somewhere around there, yeah. So you just added, in pitching changes alone, about 36 minutes to the game. Well, that's, yeah, that's a lot. Just well, in the, just Over in a that. half hour of, uh, of us being at the ballpark, what game was that? That was Texas, Kansas City that scored 24 okay. total Texas, runs. Kansas City, over a half hour of the game is a pitching change. How is that exciting? You can't tell me that's exciting. You can't tell me that is good for baseball. So anybody goes, oh, I don't care how long the game is. Hey, do you, really, you, you literally want to sit in a ballpark for almost 40 minutes just watching pitching changes, just watching an old guy come out in his uniform, walk out to the mound, take the ball from the pitcher, watch the guy trot, whether he walks or he jogs, come all the way in, throw warm-up pitches, and then have the hitter come out. You want to watch 40 minutes of that? Uh, so now I'm just going even deeper. The uh, Rangers the Rangers uh, struck out 16 times and were walked nine times by Royals pitching. The Rangers pitchers walked eight and struck out eight. So you're telling me that a total of, let's see, eight and uh, 24 strikeouts in the game and nine and uh, 17 walks. That is, that, is, uh, that is insane for a four-hour, what was almost four and a half hours long. That game was four hours and 26 well, minutes. I'm watching Yankees-Red Sox 2-1 with uh, Joe West calling the game. <laughs> Are we ready for Bob Melvin? We're at five, right? Yeah. All right, our first installment of the Bob Melvin Show for 2021. Time now for the Bob Melvin Show here on A's Cast, presented by NestBetting.com. That's NestBetting.com. Love where you sleep. When you go to NestBetting.com or any of their stores in the Bay Area, use the coupon code Oakland to get 10% off your entire order. Bob, opening night, I know you don't like the score, but, man, it was great to see your fan base back in the stands. 
It really was, and and they were just waiting for anything good to explode. You know, early in the game, you know, before it looked like, you know, how many people are going to be in the crowd, and then then once the game got going, it, it was pretty significant. So we always, you know, kind of hang our hat on our fans in spite. So it was a different dynamic. It ended up being a tough game for us last night, but boy, is it a welcome sight to see fans in the stands. Yeah, I think of a, a season that you had last year, a shortened season, where you didn't have any fans, you had cardboard cutouts, you know, you're trying to figure out how to, how to manufacture adrenaline. I think for the first time, you didn't have to think about that as a player because you sense that the players fed, fed off the fans. Yeah. Yeah. And then and, and coming out for the game, you know, you, you there's nerves and there's, you know, you, all that nervousness that goes along and butterflies. And then last year, and then you go out and you walk out there and there's no fans and it all goes away. So, uh, it's, it's much more normal right now, and, and, and being fired up for the beginning of the game is all because of the fans. What excites you about your 2021 roster? Well, a lot of things excite me about it. I mean, you know, we have our core guys back from last year, obviously Les Marcus and, and KD, but, you know, to be able to make the type of moves Billy and David did, uh, you know, toward the end of the offseason to fortify our bullpen – uh, to get us a shortstop and Elvis Andrews, who's, who's really gotten along very well with us. He, he's very vocal and got a lot of leadership qualities. He's, he's, he's really had, had a nice impact on us in the clubhouse. Mitch Moreland to add another left-handed bat to the lineup. Um, and, and then our rotation being a year older and, and uh, you know, it, the talent level should continue to rise with these guys over the years. So I, I'm really excited about our roster. You know, when I think about Chad Pender and the night he had last night, couple hits, and then, of course, just his defense in right field is just so incredible for a guy who really is a shortstop middle infielder to adapt to the outfield like that. It's pretty spectacular. He's he's going to make it tough on you to not have him in the lineup. Without a doubt. And it's going to be kind of a daily, uh, you know, uh, go back and forth to – you know, try to get him in a lineup at times. And, and, you know, he helps us in so many different areas. So as you saw last night, like you said, you know, he made two plays in right field, that gold glove right fielders make, and he has not been playing the outfield that long. So, you know, he's a special type player to be able to play all the different positions he can. And, and last night saved at least a couple runs. Yeah. It's kind of what Mark Canna did is he forced your hand. You, you had to put him in the lineup every single day. And, you know, I was actually joking with David Forrest. It's like, you know, when you picked him as a Rule 5 guy, did you ever think that Mark Canna would be an everyday guy, an outfielder, and leading off for you? Yeah, all those things. I mean, he just we just throw more on his plate every year. And, you know, we originally targeted him to get some at-bats against left-handed pitching. And, and you know, like you do, you, you give yourself opportunities against righties and you perform, then all of a sudden you're in there. And, you know, with Marcus going away, we had to find a leadoff guy. You know, we'll see where it goes, but just just the profile and and a lot of the attributes that a leadoff guy needs, he has. Um, you know, he takes a lot of pitches, he takes a lot of walks, he's got some power. He can really kind of revolutionize that spot as long as he gets comfortable in it. So, you know, the minute I talk to him about it, uh, like he does, his mind goes to work. He does some research, and he said, "Hey," he goes, "You know, starting pitchers have their most difficult time in the first inning." He said, "I'll take that at bat 162 times." So. Uh, you know, he's just getting him comfortable in it uh, will be will be important. But like I said, he has a lot of the attributes to be able to succeed at it. 
You know, Jed Lowry last night just smoked the ball right back out at Grinky and then had a great at bat late in the game where, where he walked. Yeah, you know, did you ever expect Jed to look this good? No, I, I, you know, sitting out two years, I mean, sitting out a year is difficult. And then when you're 36 years old or whatever he is right now, uh, you're pretty skeptical. And then watching him in spring training take his at-bats, and first it was in the simulated games, I was absolutely shocked at, at how normal he looked like he was a couple of years ago. And then defensively, he's been fine too. So, man, I, you know, you, it, not only is it work, physical work to, to keep your body in shape, uh, you know, after a couple of years of, of non-activity in games, but also mentally to talk yourself into the fact that I'm still the player I was. I, I, I've been really, really surprised. And, and uh, you know, obviously uh, we're happy he's here again because he's, he's had his best years here in Oakland. Yeah, I mean, it, it is such a mental game that you think that wherever Jed has gone outside of Oakland, he has struggled to stay healthy. But once he comes back to Oakland, he just flourishes is and 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 he hits and he's and it's just amazing the extra base hits and how just does it just show what a middle game this game is yeah i mean it I, one he's like obviously he's inspired when he's here um and i made the analogy the other day we had a little team meeting about talking about some of our new guys that said you know the golf analogy is horses for courses and he's certainly a horse for our course. So I know he's really happy about being here. He feels at home. He knows how we do things. And, uh, you know, we're just delighted to have him back. Do you think this is the year that the both your mats, your Matt Olson and your Matt Chapman, just have monster years? I do. And, and you know, you, you saw that, you know, after a difficult year last year and a lot of premier players had tough years last year, Ole had a really good spring and he usually kind of struggles in spring. Um, so, yes, I, I, I've said often, I think both these guys have a chance to be an MVP at one time or another. And, and you know, Chapman looks completely healthy now. You know, some of the plays he made in spring and, and, and even last night going over into the shortstop and taking one away from Elvis. Elvis came in the dugout later and goes, I'll just be a DH. I'll just stand out there and let him take all the plays. So we're, we're seeing a lot of the same things from Matt defensively that we saw in the past, and that means he's healthy. You know, when you look at your starting staff, it, it seems pretty deep once everybody is going to be healthy. Uh, going tonight is Jesus Lazardo. Is this the year that this kid breaks out and everybody around the country knows how special this left-hander is? I certainly think so. I mean, he's worked on some things in, in spring training, you know, a different breaking ball, maybe a couple different breaking balls uh, to go along with his fastball and change up, elevating a little bit more. He's more kind of a down-in-the-zone guy. Um, so he's just trying to get better, and, and the talent level's off the charts. So I, I'd love to see him get off a good, to a good start and have a good game tonight and, and just keep rolling because talent-wise, he's one of those guys that, that you know, you, you really look to the potential to be aces, and I think he does. I, I wonder what that conversation was like between you and Chris Bassett when you got to tell him he was going to be the opening day starter because you know everything that he battled through Tommy John and the setbacks. What was that like for you as a manager to have that conversation to give him that nod? It was great, and if you know some of the battles he and I have had over the years, and, and not, not significant ones, but um, I've seen him mature as a pitcher. I've seen him, uh, 
you know, it's talent levels rise and rise. And then I think just getting comfortable with, you know what, just when I'm called to pitch, I'll pitch. I think that was a big step for him and allowed him to really, really perform well, which when you perform well, you get the opportunities that he, that he has now. And, you know, last year, especially after 2.0, he was our most consistent pitcher. He, he deserved to pitch opening date. So to finally have that conversation with him uh, was rewarding for both of us. And, and obviously he had a big smile on his face. Now, obviously uh, it wasn't great, great news yesterday about Rosenthal, your, your closer, so how, how are you going to handle the ninth going forward when you have the lead? Yeah, that one, that one hit everybody kind of hard yesterday, um, and Rosie in particular. So, um, you know, right now probably the most reps are going to come from Diekman. But if the eighth inning comes up and it's, you know, Brantley and Tucker involved and they're lefties, then I might just have to match up in the ninth. You know, Romo, if it's righties, he's, he's had a lot of experience doing that. Um you know, if Lou Trevino continues to pitch like like he can, uh, and has showed us this spring and last night, you know, he could be an option. But it's just going to kind of be more of a mix and match thing if we have to use Diekman in the eighth. But I'd prefer to use Diekman in the ninth. Yeah, I mean, Sergio Romo's got three World Series rings. He closed uh, for for the 2012 Giants. I mean, he's got that experience, and he's got that flippy slider, that slurve that he throws up there that's still hard to hit. So, I mean, you do have options. We do, and and we do. We feel like we have a deep bullpen. You know, J.B. Wendelkin has made big strides for us last year, too. So, I mean, you'd like to be able to say Diekman in the eighth and Rosenthal in the ninth, and, and then you – you know, it's easier to uh, to go about it in, in the sixth and seventh for the most part. But you know what? You're going to have injuries over the course of the season. You're going to have to make adjustments. And uh, this is just one of those times. Yeah. Bottom line is you're dealing with human beings and they're not always going to stay healthy. And uh, it's always going to have to be a next man up mentality. Bob, it's great to talk to you. Great to have you on the program again. We'll talk to you every single week. And uh, good luck tonight. And uh, it's well, I just got to ask you this. The start of this season, you go Astros, Dodgers, Astros. That's <laughs> that's not that's not, that's not an easy way to start a season. No, and, and you know, obviously, we saw that once the schedule came out. But you know what it is what it is. You just take it a game at a time. You don't want to look too forward and say too far forward and say, oh boy, you know, if we go whatever and whatever in these first ten games, you just have to concentrate on winning tonight's game. All right, Bob. Be safe, and we'll talk to you next week. You got it. Thank you. And that's the Bob Melvin Show here on A's Cast, brought to you by nestbedding.com. That's nestbedding.com, stores around the Bay Area. And you can shop online, nestbedding.com. Use the coupon code Oakland to get 10% off your entire order. The Bob Melvin Show, exclusively here. Now, he'll appear in other places, but this is the only place you're, you're going to get Bob Melvin every week, and you're going to get David Forrest every week, is A's Cast Live and A's Cast. It's always good when we get a chance to catch up with the manager and the GM. Oh, and the president of the team, Dave Cavill. So, I mean, no one else is doing that around baseball. Not You don't get to hear your GM talk every week unless you're a member of the media. So, you want to hear what David Force has to say about the team and Bob Melvin has to say about the team each week? This is what you want to listen to right here on Ace Cast. So. Well, I, I, you know, ESPN did an article today, and we're now living in tears. What tier are we in right now? We're the orange tier. Well, they did a tier of, of 
World Series contender tiers. How far away from winning it all is your favorite MLB team? Oh, so I think we break it down to be purple. Be you're the Rockies. They're going tier one. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm trying to think of the the, the most restrictive would be would be the purple. So that's lockdown. The, that's the Rockies. They're not going anywhere. <laughs> Orioles. Uh, well, no. In the article, it's different. Only the Rockies are in tier four. My beloved Pirates are in tier three. What the Orioles and others. Detroit. All right. Tier one. Teams in this group are the front runners. Should be all in and trying to win the World Series in 2021. No one's going to be shocked, Dodgers. No one's going to be shocked, Yankees. No one's going to be shocked, Braves. I am shocked how bullish they are on the Houston Astros. They pro- their projected wins 93 and 2021 title odds 8.5%. So let me give you the percentages. So the Dodgers percentage to win it all is 30.7. Yankees is 17.4%. Bravos are 10.6%. Astros, 8.5. That's tier one. Tier two is where you find your green and gold with some good teams. So they've got the Twins at 5.9% to win it all. Then it's the Oakland A's. So the projected wins for the A's is 90 with... 2021 title odds at 4.9%. For much of the winter, it looked like the A's were going to take a step back, but then they filled up the back of their bullpen after the loss of Liam Hendricks and plugged plugged the hole at shortstop by uh, opened by Marcus Simeon's departure by swinging a trade for Elvis Andres. Oakland's payroll share 2.1% is right in the sweet spot for the Billy Bean era with perhaps a little room for an in-season boost. Oakland's prospect ranking has always been a roller coaster, and right now it's in the low end of that ride. Oakland is built to win now, as it usually is, and the A's will figure out 2022 when that time comes. That's dead on. Yeah, that's, that's spot on. I mean, we usually say that uh, – what do we usually say that ESPN uh, – the East Coast bias, but they got they got it pretty spot on with the A's in that description there, and they're in there they're in that tier with a lot of good teams around them too. I, mean, I think the Astros are a little high, but their offense is, is a, a championship caliber offense. It's just their pitching is what is, I just doesn't sit well with me so far. Then they got the Mets at four point eight percent, Cubs at four point seven, Ugh. and then this. Everybody had the Padres as their darling. They got them at the bottom of, of tier two, which is. 3.2% chance to win the title. You go to Tier 3, they got Tampa leading off Tier 3, the team that was in the World Series last year. There were, uh, That means the Blake Snell, Charlie Morton, and the Nick Anderson injury are uh, really concerning to, to ESPN. After that, they got Angels, White Sox, Indians. Angels? Wait, I thought the Angels were winning the AL, AL West. They got the Angels at only 1.8% chance to win the World Series. And you got Nationals, Brewers, Cardinals, Blue Jays. Tier four is where you do not want to be. Tier four is tier four is you, it, it's zero point whatever percent. So it's Red Sox, Royals, Reds, Phillies, Rangers, D-backs, your Marlins, Mariners. Tier five is you could just hang them up right now. That's uh, Giants, Tigers, Orioles, Pirates, and then. 
there's just the Rockies who they give. So all these teams, like the Giants, they get 0.0% chance of winning. Well, you, you do understand, though, that the Rockies are the number one team in the NL West right now. So, Oh, I, mean, I forgot. We got to turn that game on. Yeah. Well, it doesn't start till 540, but you got, oh. so you got some time to get to it, but – yeah, it was. Uh, it's a little. It's a little concerning. If you're, I'd, I'd be really concerned right now. If you're a Dodger fan, I mean, you lost Game One to the Rockies, and Clayton Kershaw didn't look like Kershaw on the mound. I'm. I mean, I don't know if I'm ready to hit the panic button, but uh, that's here thing though. I mean, they had the White Sox ranked really low too. I, th- I thought the White Sox were going to want to run away at the AL Central. That's what everyone told me. Well, that's why I like ESPN. Sometimes you actually get some good journalism. Their baseball guys are good, and they can be somewhat realistic. I think it's just chalked to. Always just look at the Astros and always just look at the Angels. It's just so easy. Well, they got Mike Trout. They got Rendon. They got Otani. It's just so easy. And you're like, well, what about the rest of the team? As Jeff Blum yesterday was like, Blum, are you shocked that people? And he's like, I'm shocked. How are they going to get people out? Yeah, exactly. It's uh, I mean, they did sign David Fletcher to that extension, but if you're not on the West Coast, you probably have no idea who David Fletcher even is. Um, but, yeah, I, I, the, the Angels – Came back to win that game against Tony Larusa, my good friend, in the White Sox yesterday. But uh, I, I just don't see the the hype around them. I know Buster loves them, but just don't. I just don't see it. Uh, before we go in a couple minutes, there are two things we wanted to play. What do you want to play first? Do you want to play? Uh, I, I need I need to apologize. I I I I let loose last night on the post game show on a caller. You know, no one from the organization has told me to do this. I just think it was. I was a little emotional. It was opening day, and I, I didn't get along with the caller, and I took my emotions and the loss out on the caller, and I just I, I want to openly apologize and be the bigger man. So if you want to hear what I'm apologizing, apologizing about, he, here's the call last night. You're an idiot, and you don't know baseball. I'm you're not gonna, idiot. No, you are an idiot. Listen, no, you're going to tell me you are judging. You don't know anything. You don't know squat, you stupid idiot. You're going to tell me you're going to make a judgment on the season after one game in 30-degree weather that proves what an ignoramus you are. Get off our show. <laughs> Drennan Live is what it's called. Yeah, the uh, the the uh, the tribe dropped. Bruce game one. Drennan, can you imagine? That was on live television. Yeah, it's not like he was doing sports talk radio or doing something on Ace Cast. He was on live TV and he just destroyed some <laughs> Cleveland caller. It's like the guy was calling saying, "How bring LeBron back for the third time?" He's talking about what happened in the game. And he's like, "I guess you." The, the full audio that I have is a minute ten, and he goes, "I guess you didn't see Fran Mill Reyes play last year, huh?" Because the guy started by saying, "You you should just walk Ramirez every time. No one can get him in." And the guy is, you're an idiot. <laughs> Typical Cleveland guy, though. That's how the East Coast is. That's, everyone just yells at everybody. I he, would know. I live there. Can you imagine if I did that to somebody, how many emails would be coming into the A's? I cannot believe you did. I mean, and that's probably, they love it. Yeah, they're probably like, you know what? I've been wanting to say that to fans forever. You bandwagon, or what do you call it? He called him a fair weather fan at one point. You ignoramus. <laughs> yeah. That was on live television. On the Bally Sports Great Lakes postgame show. I mean, people are people are panicking in Cleveland. Shane Bieber roughed up in his first start to 2021. In the snow. In the snow. Miguel Cabrera takes him deep. I mean, I mean, is Miggy back is the real question that everyone needs to be worrying about. And two, is Shane Bieber finished? 
after what happened yesterday. Overreaction day two in Major League Baseball. <laughs> All right, what else you got? The other thing is uh, our good friend Trey Mancini, return, returning from, I think it was stage three, colon cancer. And opening day today for the Orioles and Red Sox playing in Fenway because the game was postponed due to weather yesterday. Uh, Trey Mancini in the eighth inning, well, he did this. Hot shot, fair ball off the short fence. That'll put runners on at first and second. Mancini with his first hit in his comeback, and they're on at first and second with nobody out. Yep. That's uh, Dave O'Brien and Dennis Eckersley on Nesson, the New England Sports Network, with the call there. Uh, very happy to see our guy Trey Mancini back after missing all of last year and a big win for the Orioles on opening day. Uh, if, if we're think, talking about Cleveland panicking on uh, losing opening day, what do you think Boston's are they Are they burning the city down or – is Fenway, is Fenway still standing is the question. The Boston Rays, they know. People in New England are not thrilled with what's going on. You're going to charge us how much to come to these games and we're going to be in rebuild mode? What time are we out? Uh, we got about three more minutes. So with that hit, Trey Mancini now has the second longest active on base streak going at 23. The longest – Yesterday, with a base hit, Justin Turner, it's 32. That's obviously, for Mancini, that's carrying over from 2019 to where we are today. For Justin Turner, carrying over from last season. But that's pretty darn good. 32? On base, 32 straight games? Yeah, that's pretty impressive. I know we all fixate on the uh, Joe DiMaggio hitting streak, but the on-base streak is pretty impressive, too. I know... You're, you're not getting uh, – the hitting streak is just getting on base by hits, but the on base so you can get walked, hit by pitch, whatever. But uh, that's pretty impressive. Justin Turner, I mean, his at his I, – I hate to say it, his advanced age, uh, still getting on base, still doing productive things for the Dodgers. I remember when, I can't believe you're signing him to that deal. He's in his mid-30s. Well, it wasn't like they gave him a, the Josh Donaldson deal by – by the way, uh, Josh Donaldson, uh, he got hurt again yesterday. Calf. Yeah. So uh, it's not looking good for the uh, Twins with that deal. Four years, $92 million for a guy that is in his mid-30s. But uh, it's impressive for Justin Turner and then Trey Mancini, of course. I mean, he's going to be the talk of uh, the Orioles anytime they come to town. Then again, I would be remiss to mention that John Means had a good start today for the Orioles, too. So shout-out to the Orioles for looking good on opening day. I don't think they're going to look good all year. Uh, but hey, that's a, if you're an Orioles fan, to see Mancini back and all that, it's good. But um, the on-base streak stuff, I, I love when they, when we get to see stuff like that. It's it's impressive stuff. Like, we – we always talk about how Juan Soto is an on-base machine and his OPS and everything was great, but uh, it's it's the guys like Turner and stuff that you don't really talk about that have that are all usually leading the way with on-base streaks. So yeah, let's go look at Josh Donaldson from a standpoint of everybody wants to sign a guy long term. Okay, by 2017 at 30, 31 years old, he only played in 113 games. 2018. He only played in 52 games. 2019, he rebounds 155. And then last year, in the 60-game schedule, he only played in 28. And now he only plays in one, and he's re-hurt his calf. So basically, since 2017, he has been so unreliable, and he's made a tremendous amount of money. Yeah, it's not, it's not it's not good right now for for the Twins with that with that move, and they lost uh, Eddie Rosario too. So, um, but they they end up and they lost the game yesterday to the Brewers. I know it's uh, it was opening day, but still, 
the Twins are trying to hold off the White Sox, but the nice thing the White Sox end up losing yesterday too. Look at these salaries Josh Donaldson has gotten, and he's been completely hurt. $17 million, $23 million, $23 million, $18.7 million. This year, already hurt, $21.7. I mean, the amount of money you're paying this guy and the lack of games, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's not good. And it, and it, we love him. And it's a far it's a far cry from the that's why you don't want to sign a guy to a long a long deal when he's in his mid thirties. So we gotta go? Hey, we gotta go. This is it. This, this is, is Friday. It. Yeah. We're back Monday? Back Monday against the Dodgers. Oh, the world champs come to town. Yeah. After getting beat up in Colorado. <laughs> yeah. Tier six tier six Rockies <laughs> taking tier, it to him. The tier six Rockies beating up on the uh, world champs. That's going to be a great series. Thank you, everybody, for listening to A's Cast Live. We'll be back Monday at 4 o'clock. Up next, you're going to hear Matt Chapman, and uh, we'll be back getting you ready for A's baseball. Game two of the season against the Astros, Javier against Lazardo. It's going to be a good one right here on A's Cast. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.